Support for this episode of This Changes Everything is provided by Primera Blue Cross. Crosscut staff reporter Melissa Santos is a new mom. She gave birth to a baby boy this spring. He's really sweet. His name is Eli. He was born on March 3rd. The number of coronavirus deaths has now risen to nine in our state. And so March 3rd, you know, was like sort of the edge of the before time, you know. There are now 27 confirmed cases in King and Snohomish counties. Things are just starting to get a little weird. Good evening, everyone. While the number of people infected by coronavirus in this country remains relatively small, the impact on all of us grows almost daily. And so does a gnawing uncertainty over where all this is going. But the shutdown orders hadn't really come till they didn't start coming till like the next week, basically. And, you know, the hospital wasn't taking that many precautions besides asking you if you had a fever and if you'd been to China, you know. And the answer is that when you're in labor is like, no, I'm, I'm in labor. Let's let's do this right now. OK, <laughs> so it's not anyway. So, yeah, that was kind of the circumstances when he was born. So um, he's now, he's three months, he's a little over three months old now. I don't really have a good sense of time right now, but no one does, right? Melissa is quick to point out that for her, things could be a lot worse. She still has a job. She's been able to take a few months off for maternity leave. And when she goes back to work, there are ways that she can do her job while limiting potential exposure to the coronavirus. But still, there are lots of expectations when you're expecting. And this is not the reality she envisioned. You're definitely developing an idea of like what your child's life is going to be like. You're like buying strollers. So you obviously think you're going to like use the stroller. That is probably a reasonable expectation. And it is true that I, <laughs> I actually haven't used our stroller one single time. It's just kind of crazy that I absolutely did not expect that I wouldn't use the stroller. Like, that's what seemed like a basic, like, this is one of those things. Some of the other stuff might be optional, but, you know, a stroller, you want that. That's actually been part of the discussion is, is like, at what point is, are we being too cautious? At what point should we, like, just take him outside more? We decided the patio is okay to take him on the patio. We have some plants there. So yeah, I I did not think I would only be taking my kid onto the patio by this point. Like, even after he's gotten his vaccines and everything, you know, that was not what I expected at all. It was not my dream. (laughs) My dream was not keeping my baby inside all the time. Melissa, as you might imagine, remembers this whole period a little differently than everyone else. Having a baby is such a dramatic marker. She went into labor on Monday, March 2nd. The weekend before I went into labor, I I had this weird instinct to be very social. And maybe, I mean, like I was doing stuff all weekend with people. And I'm so glad I was because um, that was the last time I'm going to see any of those people for a really long time, it turned out. Um, the first death was reported like that weekend, I think, in our state. One person with coronavirus in King County, Washington state has died. And that was the first one nationwide. I think it was reported Saturday, I think, is when it hit the news that we would had a death from it. Yeah, that was Saturday, February 29th. This now makes the first coronavirus death confirmed in the U.S. And I remember being like... Normally, I'd be like, oh, this is a big deal. And I just was like, I'm at a friend's baby shower. I got to figure out some baby stuff. Like, okay. 
And I remember thinking that was weird. Like that was not a normal reaction for me. And then, yeah. So clearly my brain had already like knew I was going into labor on Monday is what I, what I, what I figured from that. And then I was kind of out of it while these headlines are coming through. And I think when it really hit me was when the schools closed. All right, we do want to give you some breaking news because we understand now that Seattle Public Schools will close for at least two weeks. And I was like, wow, this pandemic must be like a big deal. In fact, I think the day that it was actually declared a pandemic was his actual due date. It was like the 11th or the 12th, right? Yep, it was the 11th. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus outbreak declared a global pandemic. And it just, it, I mean, but we, it wasn't even declared by the WHO, you know, the World Health Organization, to be a pandemic when he was born. Not quite yet. And so I was just watching it while dazed, recovering from, like, giving birth and the school's closing, I think, really was what made me be like, oh, this is not going to be normal. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from Crosscut about the new normal. The birth of a child is probably among the most monumental events of anyone's life. But for Melissa, her son Eli's arrival happened to coincide with what's become one of the most monumental events of all of our lives a massive global pandemic that shut down the economy, thrown millions out of work, caused nearly half a million deaths worldwide, and yeah, to some degree, changed just about everything. And so just as all kinds of support systems and basically entire industries crumpled all at once, so too did the support systems for new parents. Melissa and her husband Apollo were a whole lot more isolated than they thought they'd be during these first months, and a whole lot more anxious too. What's it like to bring a child into the world without the community around you that you expected? What's it like to bring a child into the world when the world around you is not what you expected? In the spirit of new beginnings, we're ending season one of This Changes Everything with a birth. And with that comes plenty of new anxieties, sure. But also, new hope. Stay with us. When a new baby's born, often one of the first things on the schedule is visits. Parents want to introduce the baby to his grandparents, to the rest of the family, to friends. The timing for Eli, though, was unique. I feel like I was pretty lucky because my mom, my mom has met my baby because of the timing. When we had the baby, you know, the restrictions weren't quite in place yet. I mean, if I had the baby a week later, my mom might not have never met the baby, but um, she was there for the first two weeks of his life because she drove up as soon as I went into labor and she was just here, like while all the pandemic stuff was kind of happening and kind of the schools were closing and she was at her house already. So she got to meet him. But everyone else really hasn't so much. My husband's mother has not met him. My husband's brother, you know, nor, you know, has said, you know, oh, he would have be on a plane coming to see the baby by now for sure. But it's not an option. So, yeah, we did not expect that. And um, there's definitely people I'm really close to in my life who haven't met the baby at all. Of course, some people have met him over video calls. And that's not quite the same. And I, and I think some of my friends, I think it's been a little hard, too, because like some of my friends have met the baby like through our window. And I think that's kind of not how they envisioned this happening. It's been hard for everyone, I think. And all this isolation is hard for her, Melissa says, for all kinds of reasons. 
her own feelings, but also sometimes her anxiety over Eli and his development. I think he's okay. I think we socialize enough with him. But like at some point, do, do they need, do other people need to meet the baby? The baby needs to interact with other people. Is that like important for the baby's development? I mean, these are the things where we weren't prepared for having to even ask ourselves that question. Another thing they weren't prepared for was the sudden shortage of staples in stores. In parts of the country, some shelves are already looking bare. Like flour and oats and diapers and baby wipes. How the heck am I going to get wipes? Like I was trying like pre-ordering for like three weeks out to get baby wipes because I was worried about running out. If we hadn't had friends who had given us diapers before the pandemic hit, we would have been in a worse situation. But that was a huge fear of mine. So I was like, this is not how I thought I would be spending my first month with a child is like trying to figure out how to get diapers and wipes. And I, I just was, I mean, there were a few times when I was like, I really did break down over it. I mean, yeah. The first few weeks of parenthood are intense for everybody. You're barely sleeping. You're super emotional. Extra logistics without community support is rough. But probably the worst part of that first month, Melissa says, had to do with her difficulty breastfeeding. I wasn't really able to exclusively breastfeed like I thought I would be able to. And I really do think part of it is because I didn't really have access to help that first month like I normally might have. By late March, all of her in-person visits at the doctor had been canceled. All of the access to lactation clinics and baby groups and everything she'd set up, all that was gone too. I definitely know that I totally lost my mind at like four four weeks in, three and a half weeks in, when there was some, I finally got on the phone with some lactation consultant I'd never spoken to. And it was like a virtual visit. And she was giving me advice that was totally different than what I'd been killing myself to try and do like for the last two weeks based on my last in-person visit. I just didn't expect to be like getting what felt like getting like chastised over the phone about how I'd been doing it all wrong after all this. Again, can't even find toilet paper. And this woman's telling me, I need to go like find oats and and stuff that helps me lactate more. But then it's like, go find the stuff and then make lactation cookies in your massive amount of spare time. There are no oats. Like, I think my husband had to go to like two or three stores. It's like everyone's baking bread on Twitter and there's no flour and there's no oats. And if there are oats, you have to go to multiple stores and there's a pandemic and you're not supposed to be going to like all these different places. And I just felt like people had not adjusted to the reality that was actually happening when they were giving advice. They were giving like before times advice. And for Melissa, getting this kind of advice over the phone just didn't work. It felt super weird to have someone try and like give you advice on how to like do something that was so physical when they couldn't see you. Now they've been doing Zoom doctor's appointments but that was stuff wasn't even set up my first month of pregnancy like they my doctor's office and the different places were just doing straight phone conversations and um I don't think people fully realize how how or remember how touch and go it was in March because now like I wrote a column later for us at Crosscut about my experience and people were like oh there's a virtual group for this and this and this and I was like that stuff wasn't set up when I needed it it really wasn't even the virtual groups of some of the groups I looked into, it was just was like, we're just canceled was what it was. It was just canceled for like a few weeks. And that was not great as a new mom to just be like, we're just canceling stuff for now. And then like check back in with us in like a month or so, like, and we'll see what's up. And it was. Uh... 
It takes a village to raise a child, right? In a pandemic, well, that's different. All these things about it being like a village thing and you need help, I didn't really feel comfortable having anyone come over to help. For I mean, it was kind of forbidden, I think, anyway, at some point, right? And, um, you know, you're not supposed to have people from outside your household come, and I wasn't going to, you know, put my infant at risk to do that. Normally, I would be able to call someone for help, or I would have some friends who, like, I could have someone go to the store for me, but I, I didn't even really feel comfortable asking someone to go run errands for me because I felt like it would be like putting themselves at risk. So I didn't really feel comfortable being like, yeah, please go to the store and get me this because it's like, well, I mean, it's not really safe to go to the store, right? Yeah, I mean, what does that um, feel like? I mean, because I'm just thinking about when you're a new parent, of course you're anxious, right? But then for you... That period of Eli's life is coinciding with everybody feeling incredibly anxious for their health as well. So it's like, it seems like you have had the experience of kind of a compounded anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this everyone says it's about parenthood, but you're just much more worried about stuff like, oh, there he's crying. Oh, um, um, you're a lot more worried about stuff. He came out, you know smaller or medium sized and then he just lost a lot of weight like the first two days and I was I didn't I didn't know babies could lose that much weight in two days how is that possible like what was I I mean how I was doing everything I was told to do how did that even happen and so that anxiety I guess I would have had that anyway and then again you're trying to figure out how you do basic stuff like get groceries when and figure out the acceptable amount of risk like is the grocery store okay? We didn't, no one had masks then, right? I mean, now we're kind of got used to all this mask stuff, but like they weren't available and we were being told, you know, if you remember, you really need to save all the masks for healthcare workers, like even surgical masks even. And so Melissa and her husband were of course very, very worried about bringing the virus home. You're not really able to socially distance from your baby, right? So um, if we get it, we also figured the baby's going to get it. It's not just even a matter of us not being able to take care of him. But yeah, we just figured that anything we did, we could bring it home. And um, maybe we'd be okay, potentially, because... But actually, the data kept changing on that. Remember, like it was like, oh, yeah, if you're under a certain age, you're probably fine. The CDC says older adults and people with chronic medical conditions are most at risk for the coronavirus. But then I'm reading the article saying, hey, 40 percent of people who get this disease are young people. Late last night, the CDC released new data showing that nearly 40% of the people hospitalized with coronavirus are under the age of 54. So you're like, well, this is not really safe for young people. And then it was like, well, kids are fine. Kids are fine. Well, what about one month olds? They can't even fight off like normal diseases. I mean, what, you know, and, and we do see that, you know, even though children are not getting it as badly, Kids under the age of one actually do have more issues and that they are a much higher percentage of the rate of the kids that are hospitalized. So it's different if your baby's that young and not to mention this other stuff we keep learning about other like the their immune systems are so good. They like overreact and then they get this other disease. You're like, well, that's great. <laughs> like, I think honestly, just to make it simpler and know we were doing the best we could. That's why we kept the baby home. Probably we could have taken him like to the park and put him socially distanced on some grass. But it was almost too complex to like keep up with what are the rules? What's the best practice? What do the latest studies say? And it just was not something I could add to my plate in life. 
So it's been very strange. And beautiful, too, of course, watching Eli grow. Melissa says now he's smiling and laughing. But it's been strange and sometimes just lonely. Now what's hard about it is that he's growing up and like they say, you know, babies grow so quickly and they do now, now that my baby's getting enough food and he's growing very fast, you know, and it's just like already I feel like everyone's missed those beginning stages. They'll only know him once he's like, you know, practically a toddler, it feels like. And I guess that's okay, but I I mean, it wasn't what I expected, and I kind of thought that there would be more people to be on this journey with me, like, when I can talk about, oh my gosh, he did this today, and they'd be like, oh wow, when I saw him last time, you know, um, and that just hasn't been what it's been like. There's been no one there with me, so I'm really happy my husband has been here, and so he and I do that, and that's that's really what keeps me at least feeling like it's somewhat normal to have someone to share that stuff with. We'll get back to my conversation with Melissa in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross was founded in Washington state. With offices in the Puget Sound area and Spokane, they know the profound impact the COVID-19 outbreak has had and will continue to have on our local communities. They joined the region's major employers who made the early decision to send employees home and help protect vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors. The Primera team is in your corner and doing what they can to help during this health crisis. That includes covering COVID-19 tests and related office visits without out-of-pocket costs for most plan members. And they're working with the federal government toward free testing for all, regardless of health coverage. Primera has expanded virtual care options, too, so people in Washington can get their symptoms checked by a doctor without leaving their home or receive ongoing care, like mental health therapy. Primera is offering early prescription refills to make sure members have the medications they need at the ready. Mail order and 90-day refills are also available. Ask your pharmacist if you want to know more about your options. Primera continues to actively monitor the situation to find more ways they can help to stop the spread of COVID-19 and get treatment to those affected. Learn more about how your care is covered at Primera.com. So things are starting to open up a bit in Washington. And like the rest of us, Melissa and her husband have started to ease out of total lockdown. But they're still cautious. So I have met a friend on my patio for a socially distanced brunch. I think I've done that twice, but I still haven't really had, I haven't brought the baby out to do that with anyone. So like the closest is my friend who like came to visit on our patio. Like obviously I'm going to let her inside our house to use the bathroom. She came from like Tacoma. I'm not going to be like, no, you can't come in at all. Like, So that, you know, it's like these slow easings of our really strict rules. And so she saw the baby like from across the room, like in his crib. That's kind of, wow. This is all kind of sad, actually, now that I'm recounting it. Yeah, yeah. But this is what it's like now. These kinds of considerations, they're part of our lives. When will any of us be really comfortable hugging someone we haven't seen in a while? When will we all go to big crowded places without face masks? Back in March, when the impacts of the virus were just starting to be felt in Washington state and across the country, 
could we have imagined how deep those impacts would become? How long they would last? I mean, I, I think in, when we, in the future, when we look back, it's going to be hard to remember how weird that first month was in a way because we've developed all these systems now and now we have masks and now we like sort of have adjusted to the idea that this is going to be a very long time. So we have to figure out how to deal with it. But I think in the first month we were all just hoping it would go away and that it would fix itself. And so we didn't really have systems in place for like the reality of that it wasn't going away. Melissa says she's been saving newspapers. At first, it was just because she didn't have time to read all the news with a new baby. But as a journalist, she wanted to. For unrelated reasons, just for my job, I kept all those newspapers, right? The first month of Eli's life. Once I started going back through them, I was like, wow, this is so crazy to watch this unfold. Um, and it made me be like, I have to keep some of these newspapers like for him. I mean, he might be like, in, even in seven years, what's a newspaper? I don't know. But um, OK, so I have these artifacts now. He won't know. He won't remember. But it's going to be such a time in history that he was born into that I felt like I needed to have some starting point to have a conversation with him. And this was just about the pandemic. This was before these major protests, right? Tonight, more calls for racial equality and police accountability as protesters march into a third weekend of demonstrations. So that was, you know, we all kind of felt like, wow, this is a this is a lot happening on top of one another. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I was kind of feeling depressed about everything because it was just like, how can, is the world going to break? But then I, I actually feel different now. And I, I mean, as I've been keeping the papers, it just feels like this is different. Tonight, with a mounting national chorus decrying police brutality against black Americans, there's a new call for deep structural reform. In a stunning move announced just last night, the city of Minneapolis is doing just that. To end policing as we know it and to recreate systems of public safety that actually keep us Today in New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced a plan to defund the NYPD by shifting money in the city budget from policing to social services. You know, I don't personally have this experience of going through life as a black person because I am white. I am extremely white. Um, but my, hu my husband is black and my child um, is mixed race and will probably be seen as black and, I mean, he, and, I, and may identify as black. You know, I actually feel like maybe now I feel a little more hopeful like there is so much happening and it's not just confined to um, police brutality where people are kind of seeing wow this has really been there's been differential treatment people who never saw it before I think are seeing it maybe that means something different than for my child when he's 20 years old maybe it will be different maybe the issues that haven't been resolved um, in the last 50 years, in the last 150 years, maybe things can speed up. I guess I want to be able to tell him how it started in case this really is our civil rights movement of our time. Systemic racism relies on your inactivity. There's a boiling point and we're here today. 2020 is the year we fight back and it's regardless of skin color. It's It does seem like this particular confrontation over racism in this country, it does seem different now. 
Maybe it's having a bigger impact than it would have because of all the other changes we're seeing, because of all the other suffering, because this pandemic and the economic fallout from it is disproportionately affecting black and brown Americans. So yeah, we don't know, and we probably won't know for a while. But maybe this too changes everything. Maybe Eli's world will be quite different from ours, not only in ways we didn't expect, but in ways we've long hoped. And I guess it feels kind of special now in a way that I can say you came into the world this time and I don't know, maybe out of all this, you know, pandemic and illness and then people feeling hopeless came change and hope in a way that it's better now for you. And I don't know if that's going to be what happens, but maybe the newspapers, he'll look at them and say, wow, um, I can't believe things were like that. And there's something else that's happened, something else Melissa didn't expect during the first few months of Eli's life. My husband has been able to be home too because he was supposed to go to work in a bunch of hospitals as a medical student. And they were like, no, we're not going to have you pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in tuition to possibly get COVID-19 and die. So he's home (laughs) with uh, the kids. So, I mean, in a way, it's like this precious time. Like, I never thought we would both be home for this much time with the child. We've been able to have this special time as a family in quarantine. I guess I'll tell him that we were a team, like, together um, when he was first born, and that's what I'll remember. Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Mark Baumgarten. Engineering assistance from Resty Bacall. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. Huge thanks this week to Melissa Santos, who covers state government and politics for Crosscut, but was still technically on maternity leave when we talked. And we ended up talking for a long, long time. Among many other things, Melissa brought up the hashtag Cancel2020. It's a way some people half joke about the grief and frustration of this year. But for Melissa, it's different, of course. I can't cancel 2020 because this is one of the best years of my life in the middle of all this. If we cancel 2020, there would be no Eli. Like, I can't, we can't cancel 2020, you guys. Like, he's, you should see him. I put him, (laughs) you should see how cute he is, you guys. So, I mean, there's like that aspect. You can read all of Melissa's work at crosscut.com and all of the newsroom's coverage of the coronavirus at crosscut.com slash coronavirus. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other CrossCut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. This is the end of season one. Thanks so much for listening.